0: When I was a kid, uh, my dad was the youth pastor at the church that I grew up in, and he loved snow skiing. Now, I do not love snow skiing. I I like water skiing a lot, but snow skiing I hate because I hate the cold. So if I'm gonna be outside all day in the cold, I'm not in on that, but he would take our church group away. And so I'm about like eight years old, and I remember one of the things I did like was going on the ski lifts, and so I have a picture here of probably the ski lift you're used to. It's just like that two-seater ski lift where you can just Jump on there with a buddy or whatever, and you're up the mountain, you're good to go. You're feeling pretty secure in there, a little high maybe at times. You may be wishing you had a little seatbelt or something, but you're doing okay and you're feeling supported. Now, recently though, I found this crazy, unbelievable ski lift on steroids. Check this thing out, like that's crazy. I wanna go wherever that is, because not only can you get all your friends on there, there's like, it looks like up top, there's like a bar, like a roller coaster bar coming down to protect you, and in that thing, you are feeling safe, you are feeling secure, you are held, and you are good. Now, imagine my dismay when I'm about eight years old, my dad drags us to Vermont or wherever we went, and there was not the two-person lift. There was not the eight-person lift. you know what there was? A T-bar lift. Here is what a T-bar lift looks like. I just want to tell you something. That is not a seat, everybody. Like, I was not okay being carried up the mountain on that. Now, the way it works is, is you don't really sit in it or on it. You kind of lean against it, and then it's just supposed to push you up, A mountain, by the way, right? We're going up a mountain. It's supposed to push you up the mountain. And many of you would know. How many of you have been on a T-bar lift before? Just see your show of hands. Okay, a bunch of you guys. Now, when you wipe out on the T-bar lift, does anybody know what happens? And they stop the entire lift. They stop it, and they're all looking and looking back. And who is the idiot that fell off the T-bar lift? So about eight times on the way up the mountain, I'm getting you know, like, if you cross your skis, you fall off the T-bar lift. If you lean back too far, you fall off the T-bar lift. If you lean forward too far, you fall off the T-bar lift. If your skis dig into the snow a little bit, you fall off the T-bar lift. And so this is happening, happening finally. I just picked up my skis and walked down the mountain. I'm like, I'm not doing this anymore. But at the end of the day, that's not a seat. That is not a chair. That is not going to carry you. Now, in church, often what happens, we are told to put our faith in the evidence that were presented. And normally, it's just one piece of evidence. Just like that was not a full chair, there should have been a nice seat built in there, maybe some cushions, I'll take some cushions, maybe a little heater on the side, make my experience a little bit better, like that's a seat. But often in church, what happens is somebody like me gets up on stage and says, let's talk about the history of the first century. And let's talk about how we know Jesus came back from the dead, and we get one piece of the chair, and so then we go, wow, that's incredible. This history from the first century today convinced me Jesus is alive and we put our trust in that evidence. Now listen, the history of the first century is really important. The fact that we know we can trust that Jesus is alive because of the studying of the first century history is huge. We're going to do that as a part of this series. But so often happens is we come, we hear about that one piece of the evidence, that one piece of the chair, and we go, okay, my faith is in Jesus, but what happens when we go to work or school And somebody starts to talk about the history of the first century and they're bringing up some different objections about it. Well, often our faith falls apart. Our faith was just in the one piece. None of us would sit on one piece of a chair, but often our faith is in one piece of the evidence. Or maybe it's not this piece. Maybe it's this piece, a little bit bigger, but you know, still, I'm not sitting on this thing, right? And I think sometimes maybe it's like changed lives. We come to a church service, we hear some incredible stories about how God changed people's lives. Listen, that's huge. That's enormous. That's so important. We're gonna talk about that in this series. But if your evidence... The only thing you got your faith in is a changed life. What happens when that changed person maybe stumbles a bit and your faith was in that person, right? I mean, unfortunately, we hear in the news all the time about pastors who make a bad choice and suddenly a bunch of people who were following that person instead of following Jesus have their faith torn apart. And so in this series, we need to talk about how there's not just history, there's not just changed lives, there's not just prophecy, there's not just miracles, there's not just... Right? all these different pieces we're going to put together, there's all this stuff that comes together to support the weight of our lives. So now, when this comes under fire, I'm okay because the rest of the chair is holding me. Right? My whole faith and my whole world doesn't fall apart just because this came under question or, or somebody let me down that I thought was close to Jesus. No, Now, the rest of the chair is still carrying me while I research that stuff they said about the history and find out, oh wow, yeah, there's still truth there. Or I look at the person who fell and I say, oh man... Well, it's really sad that they fell. And I pray that they get back up again. And I pray that others who are in their position won't fall. And I pray more than that, that we just keep our eyes on Jesus and not a man or a woman or a person or a ministry, right? But as we talk about this, my prayer is, is that when we go through things in life, and we go through hardship in life, we won't lose our faith because of one part of the chair falling apart. And we will have answers for others who maybe their faith's been falling apart. Maybe they've been going through some difficulty or hardship. Or maybe they've heard something. Or they got you know, into a class with a professor that said this about Jesus and just dismissed Christianity in one sentence without any real backing or research or evidence. But just that one line was used and suddenly you're sitting there going, man, I don't know if Jesus can be trusted. So in this series, I'm praying that we're going to come together, our faith's going to be strong, our answers will be plenty, that we'll be able to help others through their struggles, that if you're not a follower of Jesus, you will question, dig deep, and search out who Jesus is as we continue to explore over the rest of this series over the next nine weeks. Now, I love this stuff so much, and I'm so passionate about it because it's why I'm a Christian. As I said last week, I grew up in a Christian home and I learned a lot of great things about Jesus, went to college, and suddenly I heard about all these different options and my faith was shaken because I think my faith was only in a piece or two with the chair. And so I'm so grateful that for years I was able to research and study and learn and discover and out of that came a strong faith and out of that I came answers for others and out of that came the ability to say, look, if you're questioning about Jesus, that's okay. If you're trying to dig into truth and discover what you can find about Jesus, that is a good thing because the truth always leads us back to Jesus. We can throw out Christianity all day, every day, and if we're seeking truth, it's going to keep leading us right back to him. It's so important to talk about because sometimes we feel really far from God. Sometimes we lose Somebody we love. Sometimes somebody makes fun of us for following Jesus. Sometimes we pray for one thing and we get another. And in those times, it becomes so easy to just give up on our faith. But not if the full weight of the evidence is supporting you and me. Not if what Jesus has done is so real and alive to you and me that we can't be shaken. And one of the things I didn't expect today was a twist God took me at the end of the the first message was this thought, and I think we're going to head there again, but it's this thought. You see, I think for some of us, we've just grown a little bit passionless about Jesus. Some of us have just decided recently, for whatever reason, that, you know, it's just not as exciting as it used to be. It's just not quite as, I don't know, almost engaging as it used to be. My prayer today is that that passion, remember that passion you felt when you first put your trust in Jesus? That passion, I pray that will return. That amazement at who he is and what he's done. So today, we're going to talk about the difference between Jesus and everybody else. The difference between Jesus and everybody else. Now, last week, I started out with kind of the first piece of the chair. And the first piece of the chair was, does does the natural explanation for how we got here and why we're here, does it cut it? Does it stand up? You know, when it comes to origin of life and quality of life, when you think about all this just being an accident and we just somehow showed up and here we are and, 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 oh, there's really no point or purpose to life. Like, does that cut it or is there something more to live for and explain how we got here? And so last week we saw that the natural fell short, but that means we have to look more than natural. we got to look to the supernatural, and so we began to say, okay, well then, is there a creator, and is there a savior, and is there a rescuer, and is there a God behind all of this? And we saw last week, God is not anti-science, he's just the greatest scientist ever. And so as we looked at that first piece last week, I pray that you were encouraged and challenged and your faith was strengthened to believe that the evidence points to God. That's the starting point. There is a God, there is a designer, there is a creator, but the question is, who is it? That was where I had to head next, decades ago, as I was wrestling through all this stuff. And I told you last week, a little spoiler alert, it is Jesus. But, but today, we're going to talk more about why, so that the pieces of the chair can keep on coming together. So we're going to answer two questions all day today. Okay, Well, not all day, for the time you're here. Okay, Where is the truth and where is the power? Everybody say, where is the truth? Where is the, the, the power? All right, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring up some different religions. And as we talk about these religions, we're going to do a few little case studies We're going to look at them and really say, okay, compared to Jesus, how does this all line up? Compared to Jesus, do I find truth and power in these different things? Now, some of you are going, why would we talk about other religions here at church today? Because I want you to see how much Jesus stands apart. You ever compared something? You know, maybe you're trying to make a purchase, or you're trying to make a decision, and so you kind of write down over here all of the the, the ways this thing stands out, and then you put another one next to it, another one next to that, and and begin to see which one is standing out here, and I want you to see how much Jesus stands out today. Now, decades ago, when I was wrestling with my faith, I didn't just do a few case studies. I literally got my hands on everybody I could find and lined them up next to Jesus, but we don't have time for all that here today, so we're just going to do a few. So. Let's look at the first one. We're just going to do a quick synopsis on these. I want you to stick with me, and I think you're going to see the difference that Jesus makes. First one is Buddha. He was born in 560 B.C., and he began this religion called Buddhism. He claimed one day he was sitting under a tree, and he became enlightened, like this just happened. I want you to just imagine you're out sitting under a tree today, and all of a sudden you just decide... You're enlightened. He he decided he was enlightened, and he was the holy one in the whole world. And that basically, what had to happen now is that he would help others see that they themselves had to become enlightened. Which you did by ridding yourself of all desire. But isn't the desire to be enlightened still a desire? But that's a whole other story, right? And so here we're going to talk truth. So everybody, say where's the truth? Okay. So as we look at Buddha, we have to say, okay, can you back up your claim with anything? Like, is there something that you can? Really show us to prove that you are enlightened and that we should follow you, right? Like this is something that's going to give life to the rest of us. And so, unfortunately, he doesn't have anything to back up his claim. All he could say is, I just am. I don't know what to tell you. I'm just enlightened. It's, it's what happened. And unfortunately, nobody was there to see it. It's not like somebody was an observer who could say, oh, yeah, I was there. And I could tell you this happened and that happened. And here's how I know. No, there's none of that. It's just I am enlightened. Guys, I got to tell you, I think we need more than that. I don't know if you've ever heard of Frank Abagnale. Uh, he had many Alices, Frank Williams, Robert Conrad, Frank Adams, Robert Monjo. He was one of the most daring con men, forgers, imposters, and escape artists in history. He got his hands on a pilot's uniform and pretended to be a pilot for Pan Am Jet for a season. Uh, he masqueraded as a resident of a hospital. He pretended to be a college professor. He practiced law without a license. He cashed over $2.5 million of forged checks. Now, why did this work? It worked because people just believed what he claimed. Nobody ever looked behind to say, wait, is this actually true? And that's why it's so important what we're doing here today is to say, wait, is this true? Where is the truth? And when it comes to Buddha, he doesn't have any truth to back up his claim. It's just, I am enlightened, you just have to believe me. Okay, everybody say, where is the power? power? All right, is there any power, Buddha? So in other words, does your enlightenment do anything for me? He would say, no, you have to get yourself enlightened now. You have to rid yourself of all desire, and then maybe you will also be enlightened. Another interesting thing about Buddha, he told his followers not to look into the existence of God. He said it would just simply distract their minds. Interesting, right? And so as we do a quick study of Buddha, and again, for me, this wasn't four minutes like we just did together. This was spread out, all these different religions and people next to Jesus over years. And so, quick case study on Buddha, I don't see truth, and I don't see power. Next one, Muhammad, he claims when he was 40 years old that an angel came to visit him and told him that he was God's messenger to mankind. He went on to found Islam. Muhammad went home and told his wife about the experience he had, and, she, and he said, you know, I think they may have been um, evil spirits. He said this angel came and told me but i don't think it's an angel i think it was evil spirit she said no you're a good man go and do what they told you to do and so muhammad's original claim is i'm god's messenger everybody say where's the truth All right. so as we dig in here, we find that just like Buddha, Muhammad has nothing to back up his claims. There wasn't anybody that saw the angel along with him. There wasn't anybody that was there and experienced this alongside of him. He just said, no, it just happened. I was in the cave and it happened. And so I think of a few months ago, when I was speaking at a buddy's church up in Connecticut, my wife and I drove up, st- up to Connecticut and we got there. Now I have locked my keys in the car before and I did not want to do this in Connecticut far from home. And so I took my keys out, I put them in my computer case, I got out of the car and I was thinking to myself, okay, I'm staring at my keys in my case, I can now safely lock the car. I locked the car shut the door, went around back. Kelly had the back door open and was getting some stuff out. I grabbed a change of clothes, and I thought to myself, you know, I have a few hours before I have to speak. I don't really feel like carrying around my computer case and so I put it back in and I closed the door and as it was like releasing out of my hands were at the point of no return, I went, no, and Kelly went, you did it. And I said, I did. And so three minutes into Connecticut church land, I had to call for a roadside assistance. And so they came, nicest guy in the whole world. And as he's opening my car, he is telling me, teaching me how to break into cars. And he's telling me, you know, Doug, you could actually grab this at Home Depot. Aisle 7 will have this device, and aisle 6 will have that device. And he's teaching me. Now, don't worry. I'm not thinking about changing careers or anything uh, and becoming one of these people. But um, he's basically teaching me how to break into a car. And I begin to think to myself, man, it would be so easy to just do this, you know? Again, don't, I'm not going there, don't worry. But it would be so easy, right? Just drive down the road with a buddy in a work truck and just look around for people who are stuck outside their car, stuck with a whatever, like on the side of the road and, and coming over there and opening up that door with your recently purchased Home Depot aisle seven stuff and jump in the car and your buddy drives away and you're a truck and you drive away in theirs, right? So Don't get any ideas. That's super easy, right? But why would that work? Because anybody can really claim anything. Where's the truth? Where's the truth behind it? Muhammad claims, I am the messenger, and this is now what must happen. You must save yourself. You must be good and obey the things I've said if you want to get to heaven. I don't see truth behind that. I just see a claim. Everybody say, Where's the power? So Muhammad's claim had no power behind it. Why? Because if I looked Muhammad in the eyes and said, Okay, even if I believe that you're the messenger, what does it do for me? Like, what's going to happen for me? Can you save me? Will God save me because I'm somehow loved by him or or because he's forgiven me in some way? He would say, no, you have to be good now. You have to earn this. You have to work your way to get into God's good graces. No truth, no power. All right, Doug, we're two case studies in, and I'm sitting here wondering, why are we talking about this in church today? Because I need you to see the difference. Some of you are seeing it already. Some of you are going, oh my gosh, I've been following Jesus Maybe all my life, or just recently, I became a follower of Jesus. And there's such a difference in what Jesus has done for me. Like, that's the passion and the fire I'm praying will hit us again today. Like, that's that excitement I pray will get inside our hearts today about what God's done for us. Let's go on. Next one Joseph Smith. Joseph claimed to see the vision of an angel. The angel led him to dig in a certain place. And when he dug, he found golden plates that comprised a book called the Book of Mormon. Um, He claimed the plates were written in an unknown language called Reformed Egyptian, but he had magic stones that enabled him to translate the words. The golden plates told the story of Jewish families who actually came and migrated to America from Israel in 7th century BC and becoming the ancestors of the American Indians. This was the story that he discovered. Now, what's important to know here is that no archaeological or historical find has ever proven anything that he said right about the move of the Jews to America and then becoming the ancestors of the American Indians. Think about that when you think about the fact that in Christianity we have Archaeological find after archaeological find, historical find after historical find that shows, yes, this was true and that was true. And this happened when the Bible says that happened. And we're going to talk about that in a few weeks. But back to Joseph Smith, he taught that every person came contains some divinity and could transform the human into God. And so his original claim was the angel gave me the book of Mormons. Everybody say, where's the truth? Where's the truth? So when Joseph's father in law asked to see the golden plates, he refused. He said that anyone who saw them but him would die instantly. But there were some people, Joseph was allowed to show the plates. There were 11 people in total. There was a group of three that he was allowed to show the plates to. And with the three of them, the the Mormon church talks about how they, they saw the plates. But what we find out later is at least one of them says, no, 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 I didn't literally see it. It was a vision of it. And so basically what happened is Joseph Smith said, if you guys have a, a pure heart and you, and you pray, you'll see the plates that the angel has shown me. And not only that, but you'll see a, a, amazing other things. And so these three men go into the woods and they begin to pray. And one of them, uh, Martin Harris, begins to feel like they weren't seeing anything because he was still there, like he was holding them back. So he left. At that point, the other two claimed to see the plates and the angel, but they didn't see anything else. And then Martin Harris later said, in about three days, I went into the woods to pray that I might see the plates. When praying, I passed into a state of entrancement, and in that state, I saw the angel in the plates. So Harris was asked, wait, did you literally see the plates with your own eyes? And he said, no, 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 no. I saw them only in a trance. Now, everybody look me in the eye for a second. Can you imagine if Peter and James and John and the other followers of Jesus when asked if they really saw a risen savior said, oh, we were in a trance. It wasn't literal, it wasn't physical, he wasn't really there, it was some kind of just vision. No, 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 what they say? They said, we touched him. We felt the nails in his hands. He cooked us breakfast. It's pretty good, right? Like, like, I mean, they were doing life with Jesus. Hundreds of witnesses at one time saw a physical body, Jesus back from the dead. And so we're not talking about a visionary state. Are you seeing Jesus stand apart? But back to the Mormons, those three witnesses, Oliver, David, and Martin Harris, they stuck to their stories of having seen the plates in the presence of the angel, though Martin said it was visionary in, in, in nature. But the rest of them, they, all three of them abandoned the church. They all left the church eventually and I just have to think about that for a second if I see an angel and I have this supernatural experience and like this is all true I'm not leaving the church that's incredible I'm gonna keep following but these guys walked away the other eight witnesses who claimed to have seen the plates three of them also abandoned the church and later Joseph said that the angel had taken the plates off to eternity and none could see them again So most of the witnesses in the church abandon the church or say that it was visionary in state. So I don't think that kind of truth is going to pull me in. I don't think there's truth there. But even if they did see it, the next question is what? Where is the power? Everybody say, where is the power? Mormonism teaches that the sacrifice of Jesus isn't enough, that you have to follow the book of Mormon and do the things that are said there in order to be forgiven. Guys, there's no power here. There's no power there. It's just save yourself. It's just work your way into God's good graces. Are you seeing the difference? Are you seeing the difference between your Savior and everybody else? One more and then we'll get to Jesus. L. Ron Hubbard, he was a science fiction writer before coming up with Scientology. And I just wanna read you what Scientology is about. It says this, this is just from their website. Offers a precise path leading to understanding of one's true spiritual nature And one's relationship to self, family, groups, mankind, all life forms, the material universe, the spiritual universe, and the supreme being. Scientology believes that man is an immortal spiritual being and that you've lived before and you'll live again. And what you did in your last life impacted who you are in this life, and what you do in this life will impact who you are in your next. Everybody say, where's the truth? Well, the interesting thing about this is L. Ron Hubbard's original claim really is just simply I've done some research. I've done some research. He doesn't ever claim to have an encounter with God, an angel, or anybody beyond himself. Basically, he says he did years of intensive research and he codified a set of ideas that promised to improve the condition of the human spirit. That's it. No truth. Nothing you can sink your teeth into, nothing that you can go, oh, how would we know that this is true or real or right? There's nothing like that. It's just, oh no, um, I've got some research done and if you follow these rules, you'll get to the place maybe you wanna go. No truth. Where's the power? Everybody say, "Where's where's the power? The ultimate goal of Scientology, they say, is true spiritual enlightenment and freedom. They believe that man is basically good, but they believe that salvation depends, listen, on yourself, your fellows, and your attainment of brotherhood with the universe. And only after climbing many levels over decades of time and spending a whole lot of money do you begin to discover how you relate to the supreme being. So think about that. Some of you are here for the first time today. For some of you, it's the first time you're, you're in a church ever. And you're hearing something beautiful. You know what it is? You can be saved today, right now, because Jesus died on a cross and rose back from the dead. You don't have to wonder if he loves you or wants you or will be there for you tomorrow or in 20 years, he will be, okay? In Scientology, you are unsure of your standing with the Supreme Being until you've gone through decades, oh, does he like me, does he not like me, does he want me, does he not want me? You don't find that out until 40 years down the road. What a difference between Jesus and everybody else. Are you seeing a pattern develop? Are you seeing That Jesus is so different. So my pastor growing up told a story once that he was in a bologna factory. And of course, that begs the question, why were you in a bologna factory, bro? Right? Like, what's happening? And I've asked that question to my mom on various vacations. Why are we in a cheese factory? I don't care about the world's biggest yarn of ball. Like, I don't really care about that. Um, And so never got a good answer from either of them. But my pastor is in this factory, and he's watching them package bologna. I know, very exciting guy. And so uh, the baloney comes out. And, and, but this is what's so crazy. It would come out, they'd cut it, and they'd wrap it and slap a label on it. And then they'd take the same baloney from the same place, same, right there, right off the conveyor, cut it, wrap it, and put, listen, a different label on the same baloney. And then another one would come off, and this went on and on and on until they had all the different stacks of different labels but the same baloney. You know, and I think about what we're talking about today and I think about that truthfully what's happened is it's just different label on the same stuff, different label from the same place and it all says this, I really can't verify anything and I have no power to do anything for you. I have no way to back up what I'm claiming and even if I could, even if I had been enlightened, if I had seen a vision, I can't do anything for you except tell you you have to now be good. Anybody thankful for Jesus today? Anybody thankful we have a whole other relationship than these people are used to with God? I'm just so thankful. So think about it. Buddha said, I'm becoming enlightened. I can't prove it, but it's true, but I can't save you. Muhammad said, an angel appeared to me, told me I was a chosen messenger. I can't prove it, but it's true, but you have to work your way to God. Joseph Smith said, an angel gave me golden plates. Um, I have these 11 eyewitnesses, most of who abandoned me. Think about that for a second. Jesus dies, Right? And what happened? His followers abandoned him. But then he rises back from the dead. What did they all do? Come running back. They all came running back, right? So as time went on for Joseph Smith, his followers abandoned him. As Jesus went on and would rise back from the dead, his followers came back. Because there was truth and there was power. L. Ron Hubbard says, I've done some research. And then Jesus says, I'm the son of God and the savior of the world. It says in Matthew 26, as Jesus is arrested and on trial, you can read it with me on the screens, in verse 63, then the chief priest said to him, swear an oath in front of the living God and tell us, are you the Messiah, the Son of God? Jesus answered him, yes, I am. That is a huge claim. That is a huge claim, and we're going to dig into that over the next many weeks, how we know that's true, because some of you are here today saying, well, Doug, you're you're saying that the Bible says this stuff. What if I don't believe the Bible? We're going to get into that and see why we can believe the Bible. But Jesus totally stands apart because now let's talk about truth. Everybody say, where's the truth? So with Jesus, we have, okay, Jesus proved to us you are God. Okay, I will be put on that cross, wait a couple days, I'm coming back right? I will rise back from the dead. That is head and shoulders above what anybody else did or would claim to do. His answer was not, well, I just am the son of God. No, he went and did it. His answer was not, I've got some eyewitnesses who saw me with a spiritual eye in a vision or a trance. He was not saying, you know, my followers all abandoned me after the resurrection. No, they all came running back. His answer would be, I was Once dead and now I'm alive. Let me bring you over to Peter and John and and Thomas. Thomas, he was the doubter guy, but he believes now. Let me bring you to all them and show you that I was once dead and now alive. And when it comes to the truth, Jesus stands out. He's the only one who can back up his claim with anything. And we're going to spend eight more weeks talking about all that evidence. Everybody say, "Where's where's the power? Well, Jesus' death saved everyone who would believe. Luke 24, 46. He, Jesus, said to them, scriptures say that the Messiah would suffer and that he would come back to life on the third day. He's trying to help them understand, this is me. Scripture also says that by the authority of Jesus, people would be told to turn to God and change the way they think and act so their sins will be forgiven. This would be told to people from all nations beginning in the city of Jerusalem. You were witnesses. Everybody say witnesses. You are witnesses to these things. Jesus has these witnesses, people who walked with him, did life with him, saw him uh, for those three years before his death, and then after the resurrection, many different times, many different people, many different places, many different groups, gathering, interacting with him, seeing him, and knowing that Jesus was alive. Today, we just looked at the initial claims. Buddha says, I'm enlightened. Muhammad says, I'm the, the... prophet Joseph Smith says, I've got some plates from an angel. And L. Ron Hubbard says, I've done some research. And Jesus says, I'm the savior of the world. And right now, right here, you can have a relationship with me. Are you seeing how Jesus stands apart? Are you seeing that truth and power are found in Jesus alone? Just based off their initial claims, Jesus is head and shoulders above the rest. Like, we'll dig into the proof and the evidence in the weeks to come of how we can trust Matthew and Peter and Thomas and these different people that had these eyewitness accounts. And I want to just let you know, we're not just going to look at the Bible. We're going to look at things that came in the early 1st century, 2nd century, 3rd century that tell us that the 1st century accounts of what Jesus went through and then him being raised back from the dead and what the Bible has to say can be trusted. So if your argument is, well, the Bible says that, I don't believe the Bible, why would I believe this? Keep coming back, because that's where we're headed, why we can believe in the Bible and what it says about Jesus. But this is huge. This is another piece of the chair for us, right? We, we, We put the chair together a little piece at a time over these 10 weeks until it's a whole chair, and we could support It can support our weight, and we don't have to wonder if we're going to be okay sitting down on the evidence because, man, person after person for thousands of years has leaned in with all they are on this chair, and it's carried them, and that's really important. You know why? Because sometimes we lose somebody we love. Sometimes our heart gets broken. Sometimes we get mocked for being followers of Jesus. Sometimes somebody questions whether what we know to be true is actually true. Sometimes we pray and get a different answer than we want. And sometimes we feel far from God. And in those moments, we have to know that Jesus is alive. We have to know it. We can't just hope it. We can't just wish it. We have to know I'm held right now. I'm held by truth and Jesus stands apart. And truth and power are found in Jesus alone. I pray today, If you're a follower of Jesus, that you're getting some answers, that your faith is being a little bit more and more strengthened, that you're having things that you could maybe encourage other people with. But today, which this is the part of the service I didn't expect until we did 930, was I pray that today that thing in your heart, that fire you felt when you first said yes to Jesus, that that thing, that... Oh, man, that hunger for him, that love. just remember that pure love you had for God when it clicked, that you're saved by grace, that it's not based on your efforts, that Jesus is really life. Remember that feeling? Let me ask you this. Where were you? Where were you? Who were you with? What were you feeling when you understood that you're saved and loved and forgiven? You see, that's the thing God surprised me with today that he would steer the ship today, he would steer all of us back toward that. That's why all this matters, because you and I are meant to have a day-to-day, moment-by-moment, a live relationship with Jesus. My prayer for you today is that that fire gets turned up. Nothing better than being outside in the fall making a manly fire, and I love being out there at night, especially under the stars and and just praying, and listening to some worship music, and just getting connected to God. And You think about stoking that fire, right? You think about those moments where it starts to die down a little bit, and you throw some new wood on there, and you blow on that thing all manly-like, right? Deep breath in, and then blow, and that fire kind of blows out for a second. You're like, oh, no, no. And then it's, right? I mean, my prayer today is that God is just blowing on that little fire in our heart that maybe has been going out a little bit lately because of the pain of life, because of the hardship of what we've walked through, because of the questions that are being thrown out in in our society and culture right now, I pray that God, the Holy Spirit, is blowing on the heart of each believer here today. Can we close our eyes for a minute? Can we just pray together? Please don't tune me out. I know sometimes we close our eyes and, and we tune out. Just stay with me, all right? Can you pray this with me? Jesus, we are asking that our hearts would be on fire like never before for you, God. And I pray this for myself right now, along with everybody else, that God, the trials we've walked through, the loss we've incurred, just the ups and downs of life, God, the the mocking that sometimes we endure, the questions that are very real, God. Let's pray that our Holy Spirit, you would blow on fire of our soul and God it would ignite into a great flame again that God the truth we are celebrating here is life to us it's salvation, it's eternity but it's also here and now it's peace it's joy, it's passion for life it's purpose and God I just pray that you'd forgive any of us for letting that that passion dwindle down. And we ask that right now, God, you'd be doing something new and powerful in our lives. If you're a follower of Jesus, would you take a minute, and I want you to think about the moment when it clicked for you. That love you felt, that passion you felt. Pray about that. Ask the Lord if you've lost any of that to return it to you. If you're not a follower of Jesus and something that's been said today, maybe it had nothing to do with anything I said, maybe it was during the the singing today, you sung about the sacrifice of Jesus for your sins and God just flipped something on in your heart. Maybe it's a conversation you had this week with a friend who was sharing about Jesus with you. And today, you're just going, I just want to know him. I want to be free of my sin. I want to spend eternity with my Savior. I want to be loved by him. I want, I want to be known by him, and I want to know him. And then now, I pray you'll pray with me. You could just say something like this. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising back from the dead. Show me how real this is. Show me how true this is. Make this so real to me, God. And I thank you for this gift. In your name i pray amen